Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. It's a genuine delight to have my friend and co-conspirator, Anita Nielsen, on as my guest. Anita is an author and a sales performance improvement guru who specializes in getting people out of their own way and telling the cold, hard, ugly truth to leadership. (laughs) Anita, welcome. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Finally, yay. Yeah, absolutely. So Anita, would you mind giving 60 to 90 seconds on your background and how you got to where you are? Yeah, so I started my career, gosh, about 20-some years ago. And I like to tell people, please don't do the math. But I started off in B2B sales. I did a lot of IT outsourcing sales. Um, I enjoyed it, always made my numbers. But somewhere along the way, I figured out I like to help my peers more than I'm liking myself going out there and doing it. And so it took some a uh, few years of just going through that to figure out, yeah, you know, and I'm meant to be someone who's here to lead salespeople and support them. So I started to build a, I helped build a sales support organization. And I realized this is what I want to do. Now in the old days, we didn't call it sales enablement yet. It was just sales support. And so that later on evolved to sales enablement. I moved to a software platform company for sales enablement. I thought that was going to be my dream job because I was going to get to consult on sales enablement, but I ended up working for a, a not a cool person. He was just kind of a mean guy. And he was very into this idea of, I have to have a template for every customer that I consult with. And that drove me bananas. I am not a template girl. They had like a 64 page, 65 page template of process and this and that and the other, all this complex detail, which it made him feel really smart because he kind of helped put it together. The customers couldn't understand it. And so for the first time in my life without another job in hand, I quit. And so then I said, all right, girl, either you are going to go out on your own now or never. So I decided to go out on my own as a consultant and it was seven years ago. And I love it, loved every minute of it. And it's mainly because I get to talk to my customers and figure out what they need, not shove them something that's already been created and make them try to fit into it. Anita, you, you wrote a book, um, which is fascinatingly entitled Beat the Bots. And it's all about human, humanizing the sales process. So let's start with that. What inspired you to write the book? Like many other things, it was my salespeople that I work with. So I'm lucky enough to get to be an embedded coach. And I actually get to I actually get to sit with salespeople in their sales calls. I go in and listen to how they handle them. And uh, one particular call after the fact for that call, we were having a drink or two or seven. And the sales rep kind of let me know that he, he was under a lot of pressure because he thought that he was not going to be able to support his family long-term because it was getting harder to differentiate. His commission checks were lower, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I mean, I knew that things are changing and he was worried that robots was going to take over the whole sales or the sales profession. And it's like, this is not the right thought process. Now, at the time, major companies, uh, major analyst companies were saying things like, by 2025 million jobs are going to be lost to robots and all that BS. Um, and so I said, no, you know what? I need to get in here, write something that'll remind salespeople what matters most and how they differentiate, which it's on the human level, right? The differentiation lives in that connection between the buyer and the seller. B2B isn't really business to business. It's you know business employee, business buyer to, from a business seller. And that's too human. And that interaction is what makes all the difference. And that's the part that robots can't do. I think that what the analysts were right about is there are an awful lot of sales oh. who deserve to be replaced by robots. And probably <laughs> totally. they're effectively nothing more than brochures in suits. And that has no place 
in the current environment. And if you're selling commodities, then by all means, shove it online, flog it through Amazon or some other marketplace. But where you need, I always am reminded of Carl von Clausewitz uh, hiring Prussian officers for intelligence and laziness because yeah. you can hire them for minimum effort and minimum loss of life. And I think great salespeople should be hired for the same reason. They are very aware of their impact and they right. understand that you've got to work hard, particularly in the foundational side of the sale, in your research, in your preparation, in your rehearsal, in your being relevant and timely and contextually appropriate. And then when you're in the sale, actually, all of that hard work should be paying off. And you shouldn't be working hard there. You should be listening hard and paying great attention. So tell me this. In your experience, where do the problems start? What you just said, research. I think that's almost where people fail. So say, so I don't do a whole lot of coaching on prospecting. I have partners that do that. But I think once you have that first call scheduled, if you don't do your research, you're just you're setting yourself up to either fail or just not differentiate and just become one voice and you know, five or six vendors that they're working with. And so I think it does. It starts with good research. This is the way I look at it. Research, discovery skills, and active listening. If you don't get those three things right in that first couple of meetings, you set yourself up for not being able to make as much money as you can and not being able to create a customer for life because that's where the interaction happens. Statistically, seven out of eight first meetings across the globe end up in no second meeting. So you have to have done your research before you go in for the first meeting so that you deliver value and you are relevant. If you can't do that, then you deserve to be kicked out. And what on earth are you doing wasting their time? That's exactly right. And people care about their time and people are not going to tolerate someone who comes in there and wastes it. And my, one of the things that bothers me is, you know, we train salespeople to go out and give a pitch still to this day. And how does that feel to a customer who's being told blah, 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 everything about the company, everything about what they sell, the product, but there's no conversation. So no one's asking me as the customer, well, what are you trying to do with this? And I don't mean asking, well, tell me what your business objectives are. That just sounds foolish at this point. Or what keeps you up at night? But be genuine. Ask real questions. Like, What are you trying to do? And come from a place of sincerity. But have your knowledge and insight ready so that when you go in there, you're asking questions that kind of show that you get it and that you understand because you've worked with so many other people. So yeah, that's why if you can't engage them on a level and prove, you have to prove that you are credible, prove that you're trustworthy. I think that's a big one that some they just don't take the opportunity to do that and be able to have a conversation on their terms guide it drive it have control of it but make sure that you are giving them every opportunity to speak our pal roderick jefferson uh, makes that in the absence of value the conversation will descend into cost very quickly exactly right and this is why so many salespeople end up uh, believing that it's about the money It isn't. It's because you are crap. So wake up and stop focusing on you. Stop focusing on your transactions. Stop focusing on your quota and focus on the customer. Understand them. Stephen Covey said it 30 years ago. First to understand, then to First to understand. Exactly right. Um, And you know, here's what's funny, but do we set them up though, Marcus? I feel like my, this is where my sales advocate kicks in. 
yeah, they, they go out there and they do these things and they don't show the value in all of this, but as do sales leaders help them? I mean, what no. guidance are they getting? They're getting shit guidance because uh, their exactly right. compensation is awful behavior because exactly. they're being told, make more dials, work harder, i.e. work dumber, mm-hmm. but do yeah. more of yeah. it. They're being yeah. told, uh, get more quotes out, do more demos, do more presentations. All of that is utterly masturbatory. There is no point. <laughs> what you're doing is pleasing yourself because uh, yeah. the customer is sitting there suffering through your pitch. Stop yeah, exactly. pitching. Let's take the knife very surgically to leadership and management. Um, <laughs> Love it. Because God knows they really need to be woken up. In your experience, where you have leaders and managers who are driving that type of insane behavior, what yeah. typically happens to their sales force? They become, and I hate this phrase, but they become kind of coin operated. They get disengaged. I mean, they are working solely for their commission check. And it's, it's like they, they lose sight of what matters most. So if I'm a sales leader and if I'm not making my salesperson feel empowered, they're going to be, they're going to feel disempowered, which means they're not going to be motivated. They're not going to have the right mindset to go out and sell. And I mean, I think that we just leave a lot of potential on the table. That's where I get annoyed. Leaders don't often even ask what do they need to do? How do they need to grow? And so disengagement, I think is a big one. And then just, you know, the minute that that salesperson finds another job that seems a little bit better, maybe a little more money, maybe a little bit different, they're gone because they don't want to stay in a place where the only thing that matters is the number. That's all they, they feel like a number. And people will say salespeople don't think that way. And I call bullshit on that every time. You can tell me all day that they're co-operated. They are not. They are very feeling human beings and they want to feel valued. Absolutely. I, I, I'm currently running a series of interviews with young salespeople. So first five years in selling tech and the themes that keep coming through are they feel like they're a number, they're a commodity. They are really focused on pointless behaviors. They're not being trained. They're not being developed. They don't feel like they have a career path. They're churned and burned. The average uh, length of time that people spend in those roles is under 12 months. Interviewed one lady last week and she's on her fifth role in five years. And bear in mind, she spent 16 months in one role. Uh, so that gives you an idea of just how quickly she's being turned over. But she, you know, she was always hitting quota, but she just hated being there. When I was a headhunter, money came sixth on average in terms of what <laughs> they were motivated by. The number one right. thing was feeling appreciated. There and you, uh, you were giving an example in the preamble. Uh, tell us the story about the, um, the, uh, that top performer. Oh, yeah. So there was a top performer that I worked with a couple of years ago, and he just he kicked ass. He met his number. He was just a genuinely likable guy. He had a good relationship with people on the team and the sales leader. Well, it came to a point where there was some big conference going on. And he, this gentleman was living in the East Coast, and this conference was on the West Coast. And there was a bunch of West Coast sales reps that were able to go. And because of saving costs, the company, the sales leader, determined that this guy was not going to be able to fly over didn't want to spend the money. And, you know, he could join virtually for the um, important parts. And I knew the minute that decision was being made, that the clock is going to start ticking before this person leaves. And the sales leader's like, no, he's happy. And I said, just watch. You have, you need to spend some time with him and remind him that he is valuable. Maybe even say you're sorry. And sure enough, it was like, I think six, seven weeks later, he's gone. 
he was like, I don't want any part of this. And, you know, he's not going to admit that it was because of that reason. I mean, they're not going to say that in the exit interview, but I mean, I knew what it was. And then it was about, I think a year later and I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, that's some kind of bullshit. I can't believe you sent those effing fools into that place. What do they know? Blah, blah, blah. But they wouldn't spend a thousand dollars on me. That's exactly what it was. He wasn't valued. And he was not only just not valued. I mean, that was a direct insult to him, right? Feeling that way. And he's like, bye. And that's the thing. Sales leaders, they had tunnel vision. They looked at this amount of money that they were saving, but they never looked at what they could potentially lose in that attraction. This then points to how a business is an organism. It's a system with lots of moving parts. And if you change one part, and you don't look at how you change other parts, then the system's going to get out of kilter. And I think part of the problem is that uh, when you are run by accountants or private equity or venture capital, and what they're interested in is saving money, then what you'll end up with are people who are whose behavior is driven in the wrong direction. And what we should be doing, as you've touched on already, is creating a strong business with highly engaged employees, with long lifelong customers. And um, again, the statistics on this, for those of you who haven't heard the podcast before, um, these are really important statistics about empl- highly engaged employees. And bear in mind, around 70% of your staff are probably actively disengaged right. based on the research. Highly engaged employees produce 430% higher profit per employee, 290% higher revenue per employee. There's a 40% reduction in churn, a 20% higher level of productivity per employee. And this is the number that should wake you up. Earnings per share, on average between 2010 and 2016, grew by 14.33% in the S&P 500 across the board. The companies that had highly engaged employees grew 42.77%. You are costing your business money by being a penny-pinching tight ass. Invest in your people. Uh, Do not allow yourself to be driven by the balance sheet in the short term. You've got to think long term. When you engage with a management team and a leadership team, what are the first symptoms that you're looking for and how do you kick ass? So communication, I think, is one of my first things that I look at. If I find a sales leader who doesn't have regularly scheduled one-on-ones with their team. Now, to be fair, I don't work with sales leaders, sales managers that have 100 people. I don't. I work with people that have maybe 20, maybe 25. And if they don't have a one-on-one scheduled on a regular cadence, not saying every week, I know that we have a problem. Because that means that the only communication is weekly sales meetings. What sort of idiot leader would have a one to one hundred ratio? Oh my goodness! Well, you know it's amazing. P and E, P private equity companies. This is what they do, oh. right? Instead of hiring another, yeah, it's such a, it's utter bullshit. And I'm sitting, I've got a customer like that, and I'm just like, you have this one person over sixty some odd people, and that is just he, he just can't. There's no way that he could give any of those people justice, even if ten percent of them feel valued. I like to say if you chase two rabbits, they both get away. And when you've got 60 people that you're chasing and trying to figure out, you're going to catch nothing. You're not going to grow any of them. So I think that's, and that's one of the biggest problems. So I immediately started on that. Like you have to put that cadence in place. Once I've done that, and one of the things I do before I even speak to the leader is I ask to speak to the employees and I do it in confidence. The sales reps, I ask for, oh, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. I end up being a kind of a shrink, but 
highest um, performer, lowest performer, mid performer, most negative and complacent individual, most positive person that kind of ends up being the glue for the team. I try to get at least those people. And I can learn from them very quickly what that leader is like. And not because they're bad mouthing the leader, but just the things that they talk about, just the things that um, they say matter. You can tell where that came from. It came from the leader. It's, I mean, I hate to give this example because people get annoyed at me, but the reality is if a kid is an F up and is a spoiled, rotten brat <laughs> or isn't doing what they do, it's not the kid's fault. When you have a kid, it's your, the parent's fault. Are they doing things consistently? Are they giving them the feedback that they need? Like salespeople, I believe every salesperson, every human has a great amount of potential to grow. And you can either, as a leader, stifle that growth, stall that growth, or accelerate that growth. And it's a choice as a leader on what you do. And that's why I started off working with salespeople. But very quickly, I figured out that wasn't going to get me very far. If that leader wasn't where they needed to be from a leadership, not management, leadership standpoint, it didn't matter how hard I worked on these reps. Because the minute I left, it would all go back to shit again. So... The first thing you touched on there is, you know, are they really a good coach? Are they engaging with their people individually? Then do they empower the team and not micromanage? Are they inclusive? Are they focusing on production, but also making sure that they're communicating and listening and sharing information? Do they support people with their career development and regularly discuss performance, not an annual performance review, yeah. uh, which is basically just another waste of time. It's BS, um, exactly. Clear vision, clear strategy for the team. They know how to do the job well enough. They do, but again, you notice that comes eighth. They're collaborative across the organization. Yeah, that's it. And they make yeah. decisions well. Now, that that's the research that's come out of Google for looking at what makes a great manager Project Oxygen. And what we see time and again is an avoidance of the difficult and instead going for the simple and the easy because the managers and the leaders lack vulnerability. So when you see see that uh, lacking in leaders, uh, sorry, in managers, what do you advise the leaders to do? Yeah, I think, I mean, I try to coach them on how why vulnerability is actually strength, right? Because I believe that you can, it takes a lot more strength to go in and be vulnerable. It's a much bigger risk. It's it's much more scary than it is just to go in there and have this big wall up. And so based on that thought process, I just try to, and I give a lot of examples of how when you're vulnerable and you're real, look at how your salespeople are going to ask. And you know, the thing is, it doesn't take long for that to prove itself. I mean, I can have two emails that a sales leader sends to their employees over the course of maybe a month, and immediately you can see the difference. And that sales leader can see the difference. I can implement consistent one-on-ones in just the first two weeks. That sales leader will call and be like, you're right, I should have been doing this. You're right, I can't believe all these things that are going on. Not only the salespeople not getting empowered and engaged and educated, neither is the leader. How can you be that leader in the ivory tower and not hear what's happening with your people? And so I think it's showing them that if you do these things, yes, you're going to feel a little bit vulnerable, but it is going to make a big difference in terms of how your team perceives you. They will start to perceive you as a as someone that they can trust or as a human being that they know is there to help them. That's critical. Here's the thing that's so hard, Marcus. I think that now people are starting to get better, but 
if you have a sales performance, a top performance, killing it out there, you know, constantly the one at the top of the dot dashboard, very competitive, all these great things, making a shit ton of money. And then you're like, okay, well, as a company, like, oh, I can't really increase the comp structure anymore. Let's move them into a leadership role. And every salesperson, not every, a lot of salespeople worth their salt are going to say, yeah, absolutely. I want to advance my career and leadership role is where I'm going to do it. Now you've put somebody who's never had to rely on guiding and leading others. They've only ever had to do work on their own to be successful. Right then and there, you know that there's going to be a challenge. I mean, they've never, they hate CRM as a rule. They hate doing spreadsheets. They hate doing presentations. I mean, now you're going to ask them to look at leaderboards, to go in and monitor CRM. You're going to ask them to go focus on creating presentations for the equity board and et cetera. These are diametrically opposite from what made them successful in the first place. And shame on leaders, shame on executive leaders for thinking that that's going to be an easy transition. That sales leader needs a coach. They need someone to help them become a coach. Uh, And if they're willing to go into that leadership role, then they need a runway to learn the, uh, the skills. And that typically doesn't happen. You just get the tap on the shoulder. Anita, congratulations, you're a manager now. And then that's a, that's a recipe for catastrophe because what you then end up with is not only losing a good salesperson, but you gain a crap manager who disempowers the entire team and they all fuck off. It's just crazy. So one of the things that I've spoken to uh, Rod Jefferson about at length is the importance of creating alignment across the sales operation or the sales and marketing operation. I fundamentally believe that sales actually is a subset of marketing which makes me terribly unpopular with salespeople, but I don't need a friend. I'm perfectly happy. And I, I think that the customer success people are really where everything pivots on. Because once you've got a customer, you want to keep them. And I think everything should stem from there because we're in business because of, not in spite of the customer. And I think there needs to be alignment with revenue operations. There needs to be alignment with management, but there also needs to be alignment with the other parts of moving parts of the business, like operations and professional services and finance. So how do you make sure that sales invites those other parts of the business in and is also actively engaged in seeing the impact of the work that they do on other parts of the business? So this is why I'm not going to be the popular one. So I think that marketing, operations, delivery, I believe that they need to have a sales first mindset. People talk about customer first. I agree. I agree customers first. Customers at the heart of everything. However, who is the person that is talking to that customer? It is the salesperson. Normally the customer complaint person, isn't it? Exactly. Right. If if most people are, it's the freaking escalation path that they go through. But that salesperson is going out there day in, day out and meeting with your customer. If you can't align behind them and give them everything they need to go kick ass at that conversation, as a company, you're failing, not that salesperson. And like I said, this is where I'm very popular with my sales guys, but not as much with leaders. But marketing better damn well have the right story for that salesperson to be able to leverage when they are out there in the field. Marketing, so you say marketing, sales is a part of marketing. I say marketing should be under sales or sales enablement because Marketing is there to generate the business, to acquire the customers, to go out there and, I'm sorry, engage the customers and bring them to sales. Sales better do a damn good job of paying. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. That's true. If marketing is good, I think that, yeah, that's right. That works. But at some point, 
the disconnect between marketing and sales is so obscene that when you come in from the outside, you look at, you just know, I'm not, there's nothing I can do to save this company. There's nothing I can do. When was the last time you came across a CMO that spoke to customers? I'm telling you, no, I hardly ever. It has to be at least, gosh, two years ago, two or three years ago, we actually had one of those. And the unfortunate part here's the other thing. Yes, they spoke to customers, but they were shit in front of the customer. They did not have the personality or the capability <laughs> to speak properly with the customer. So it's kind of like, yay, we made it, made one baby step. And then we totally up by saying now, you know, here we put this person with very little personality, which first of all, a marketing person with little personality, how do you even find one? All marketing people typically have a great personality to go out there and talk. Not this one. Well, I think that part of the problem, and this is a huge bone of contention for me, is I think what's happened is we've been seduced by the technology. Marketing has dehumanized the whole process because it's focused on efficiency rather than effectiveness. And what they forget, I remember reading something from Dan Kennedy about 20 years ago, and he really made a very valid point, which is the problem with free marketing is the price you pay is all the people who will never do business with you. Now, I've just unsubscribed from five feeds from a company that really ought to know better. They, they, I mean, they specialize in marketing or, uh, outreach. And um, because they, they've put some really interesting content out there, which I'm fascinated by and I want to read. Yeah. But each yeah. time they ask me for my email. And so I get put on yet another fucking list. I'm already getting 500 emails a day. That's right. So I need That's to right. get five identical emails from the same company. So I've unsubscribed from four of them. If they put me on another list, I'll unsubscribe from all of them. And again, what we forget is just how much of our inbox is full of stuff that is utterly invisible to us. Why? I mean, let me ask you this. No, um, how many uh, subscriptions from corporate email marketing brands do you have you willingly subscribed to? I would say a big fat zero on that one. Okay, so all the money that they're trying to spend on email marketing is wasted on you. Let's pretend you had four or five. Chances are most of them would go into the category, that looks interesting, must look at it later, never do. Okay, so all of that money is wasted. Pay-per-click, $265 billion was spent last year on pay-per-click advertising that got one click on Google and Facebook. Um, So that money is wasted. Pop-up ads, no one in the history of humanity has ever welcomed them. A lie, actually. The pop-up ad on despair.com is quite funny. So, <laughs> I'm going to check that one. I don't even know what it um, is. And, uh, well, they have a customer dissatisfaction charter, uh, which is we're not happy okay. till you're not happy. <laughs> Love it. So I, I, I appreciate that. They're, they're my third favorite. Unsaid rule. Yeah, third favorite website on the planet. But virtually all marketing that is generated by companies is wasted unless it is relevant and timely and adds value and doesn't feel like a pitch. The marketing we pay heed to is user-generated content and customer-generated content. And the stuff that people engage with is the threads. It's not the content itself. It's in the conversations that happen afterwards. Why is it that so many organizations are blowing shitloads of money at marketing that we know doesn't work? Mark Schaefer says this, you know, the results, um, the, the evidence is out there, but the results are not. And we're seeing all this. And back to my bone of contention around tech, I'm speaking to one prospect at the moment. They must be spending about 4 or $5 million a year on 
marketing technology subscriptions uh, and sales enablement tech. And they're 60% behind quota. And they have been for three, four years, as far as I can tell. So why do people keep spending money on this shit before they've got the basics right? Because they're all brilliant technologies. Because people love shiny technology. I mean, I think people figure out that they might be a silver bullet and they want, they'll go invest anything. I mean, the amount of money that some of these companies charge for marketing technology is obscene. And the problem is technology is only as good as the people who wield it. And so if those people are, for example, you know, marketing analysts or even for sales technology, salespeople, if they don't use that technology the right way, you have a zero ROI. And then that the technology then becomes a burden because now you're spending all this time thinking that salespeople or marketing people will be using this technology in a way that's going to have a positive outcome. And then it doesn't. So I think people just, they don't sit and take a look at, I have a customer. They forget that, that they are a customer. I think that's what makes me crazy. Like if that's you, a good if point. You, I'm a, if I'm a customer, I don't want seven emails every week from a company. It'll be very quick when I unsubscribe because I have a lot of crap in my inbox. I don't need more, especially if it's meaningless to me. And I think when you get into that role of marketing, if you've forgotten how to be a customer, then I don't know how you succeed unless you've got such a damn good relationship with that salesperson that they're bringing you every little detail that you need. Fine. So maybe you have a customer success survey that helps you like an, you know, net promoter score or something, but that's still not the same. As MPS. MPS is a complete crock of shit as well. That's yeah. essentially biased questioning, trying to draw out of you uh, the answers you want to hear yeah. uh, by and large. It's utterly, utterly pointless. And it's, uh, it's self-congratulatory. Pointless. Because it's so much more. Again, it's automating things that don't necessarily serve you once they're automated. And I'm all for simplifying and innovating and helping with differentiation through that. But you have to have the right thought process in advance to think, okay, if I implement this technology, is it going to take me you know, five st- spots further from the customer or is it going to bring me closer to the customer? And that's what you have to be after. The ones that are going to get you closer to that customer, that customer's peer group, closer to where the conversation is happening with those customers. That's the kind of thing that you want to do. I'll tell you one marketing team I work with and I just love them. They, they were so smart to come up with a customer roundtable that they did. They literally put customers together just to go have conversations about their day-to-day business. One person was allowed to go from that vendor because they didn't ever want it to feel like a sales thing. The amount of referrals and repeat business that that company got was barred. It was more than any that I'd ever worked with. And it was such a simple little thing. People love to learn from people like them. And so when I put five or six of my customers together and they get to talk and they get to brainstorm and, oh, we did this and we did that, that is power. That is relevant. That is timely. That is meaningful. All of those things that matter to the customer. And so what if there's only one of you in the room? So what if it's not a sales call? believe me, that will turn into money for you one way, shape or form or another. So it's just, it's a thought process that goes behind it. Well, uh, again, you look at companies like Splunk, Phycotic, UiPath, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Outreach. These guys are really very good at getting customers talking uh, amongst themselves. And you look at the sales leaders. They are routinely speaking to customers. Their marketing people are routinely speaking to customers. And um, you look at uh, technologies like Authentics. They're a, a new AI company that's based in the States working in the healthcare sector. 
they monitor the unbiased, spontaneous conversations that go on between call center reps and their customers. And they use AI to measure what sentiment is, um, what their customers are telling them they want, what they love, what they hate, what they need. And as a result, they're able to drive up sales uh, within a matter of a quarter or two, 40%. And you need to have the same thing internally. You need to be speaking to your employees. But again, um, employee surveys, complete wank. What on earth are you doing uh, burdening someone with a tedious survey where you don't actually act on the information? Uh, There's one company I heard of that um, sends out one question a week. And within a week, then the management collates the information and tells the employees what they're going to do based on the information that they've been Mm. given. That's rare. Tell me about it. Now, uh, again, if I look at things like CRM, okay, why is it CRM is actually a burden instead of something that helps salespeople sell more stuff? It's because they're not trained on how to use it. They don't understand the value of that tool. They're not shown what the value of that tool is. So there's no impetus to actually go in and make that a tool that serves them. They serve the tool. The salespeople are there to update the tool so leaders can look at what their performance is, what their progress is. Right. So it's it's implemented for the wrong reason, which is an audit. That's it. Okay. So given that we know that that's the case, where you've been able to help organizations implement CRM effectively, what were the fundamental characteristics and foundational beliefs that you put in place before you went out and got a vendor in? It is all about the end user. It's about the sales professional. So if there are not at least a handful of salespeople sitting on that committee to make that acquisition of that technology, you've already failed. Because now you have people that aren't in the field, in the trenches, making decisions for people that are day-to-day out there having the conversation with the customer. And any vendor worth its salt with a CRM is going to come in and tell you what they think that salespeople need, right? Because that's what they do for a CRM. But the problem is the people that they're talking about, they're not your salespeople. So where that CRM may work in one company, it won't work in the other. So you have to have salespeople in their real life being able to say, this is not going to work at our company. This, we're not going to do that. What is that for? And asking all those questions. So to me, that is step one, is making sure that salespeople um, or sales... I don't want to say sales leaders. I want to say actual salespeople, the ones that are going to use it, um, are there and involved in that conversation before that signature on the CRM or any marketing technology or any sales technology is done. Otherwise, you're just buying something, another thing to take your take your salesperson out of the field and away from the customer. What the hell logic is that? I mean, don't. Find things that are going to make their life more easy, simple, give them more time. Do not put them in a situation where they're burdened by having to update CRM every day, every this, that, the other, unless you can show them why it matters to them. And that has to start from the beginning. So again, when I look at the way... Um, most sales organizations approach prospecting. Um, I've lost my hair over this, as you can tell. Um, I just see so much useless, busy activity uh, yeah. rather than uh, some intelligent thought going into it, defining who your ideal customer profile is and sticking to that instead of going after anyone with a pulse. Because so often sales organizations are focused on the wrong metrics. And I know you don't go down the road of uh, comp and bends because yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's a minefield. The reality is that if you are 
focused on the wrong end of the problem, you'll drive the wrong behaviors. And there's a very good uh, argument for creating compensation schemes that look at someone's performance in role, in uh, their ability to implement the process and the outcome. And don't just make it about the result, because if you don't focus on the inputs and the beliefs that underpin that, then chances are you're just going to get people going through the motions and being busy rather than being effective. So, yeah, or finding a way around it, or finding I, a way around it. I mean, salespeople are damn smart. They'll find a way around it. If you don't teach them that they have to follow the process, or forget teach them, if you don't show them that that process serves them, they're not going to do it, right? So you just have to, you have to be able to put that in place. So if we then extrapolate that into culture, and we start thinking about uh, how we create a rock and roll sales culture, what are the values that underpin it? And what are the, what's the mindset that has to be in place to create a really strong, long-lived, sustainable sales culture? Yeah, I think for me, it's transparency is huge. A lot of times there's alignment that needs to happen just between the sales organization and executive leadership, but that never gets trickled down to the sales team. So they don't actually know what they're working toward or for. Now, sales leader can do it to some degree for their organization, but they have to be honest. You cannot be full of shit and expect your salespeople to follow you. It's not going to happen. So transparency, communication. I can't deal with companies where there's no positive, proactive communication with salespeople. It's just let them go figure it out. That's a dangerous way to be. Third is focus on the growth of that salesperson. How are you making them better? And not just that, but they better know that you care about making them better. They have to know it and it has to be in your word and your deed. And so if those three things happen, I think that's light years ahead of any other company out there in terms of employee engagement, which we've talked about is so valuable, um, in terms of retaining your employees, in terms of having a salesperson that's out there having a positive, good conversation with their customer because they believe in what they're part of. You can't fake that stuff. And so, you know, as sales leaders, I think it's imperative that you're looking at it as a true leader. You know, compassion, empathy, all those things that we hear from a leadership standpoint, those, those have to be there. That's how, you get, that's how you get the right culture. All fabulous points. And again, please, if you're listening to this, listen over that section again, take notes <laughs> and mean it when you implement because it, it's so important. And, and again, I interviewed a really fascinating enterprise sales leader, David Weiss, and um, he said very similar things to you, but he said that you've got to love your salespeople. You actually have to genuinely give a fuck about their success. You have oh, to care it. about their success. And everything that you do is about helping them be more successful. Mm-hmm. And again, when you think about the onboarding process, the onboarding process should not be a week torturing them about product mm-hmm. knowledge. They, they probably don't need to know, you know, in an enterprise space, you probably don't need to know anything about the product for at least three months. Mm-hmm. Exactly um, right. Because what you need to understand is who the customer is, the environments that they operate in, the kind of pressures that they're under. You need to understand mm-hmm. how to move things through your own organization. You need yes. to know where you can create leverage because you know who the company historian is, who the company storytellers are, who gets Thank stuff you. done. All of that is way more important than torturing people with product knowledge training, which frankly, customer doesn't care about either. 
Right? Well, a salesperson the- can learn that anyway. I mean, if they, when they're ready, here's what salespeople are. They're pretty freaking smart, okay? If there's a product that they need to sell, they're going to read up on it. They're going to learn everything inside out, backward, and forward before they're going to go talk about it. Do not worry. That's what they will do because that's how they're going. They have to have the confidence. So they'll use that to help build their confidence. But if you aren't there giving them the resources that they need to be able to navigate your internal company and navigate the landscape of the customer, you fail in onboarding. It's a failure. I've worked across 500 different market segments in the last 17 years. And in all honesty, with the majority of my clients, I don't even know what they sell. And it doesn't stop me from being able to help them to sell significantly more. Because if I understand how to understand the customer, then they will tell me what they need. And then we can, maybe five or six meetings is all a salesperson really needs to get the language and get enough about uh, most products to be able to have a reasonably intelligent conversation. If they know where to go to get the answers to those questions internally, then on the third meeting maybe in an enterprise space, then they might talk about the product. But before then, it's irrelevant. And if you bring the product up, David Sander always said that product knowledge used early in the sale is lethal. And I've always found that. The minute I start talking about me, my company, my products, my services, uh, the customer glazes over. Well, and they know already. Like we're in a world now where they already know your product. They've been to the website. They've downloaded the spec sheets. They, they know what they're trying to buy. You have to convince them to buy it from you. And that's all based on the interaction and conversation. I, I'm going to go one step further, which is yeah. you need to understand what it will take for them to convince themselves. Because that's I don't it. believe you can convince anybody to do anything. You cannot. In fact, it'll backfire. If you try, if they sense that you're trying to convince them of anything, you're done. Absolutely. Because they will not. They Absolutely. Uh, Anita, this has genuinely been a joy. I'm oh, really looking forward to the next few years of us collaborating. Tell me this. What, what are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with at the moment? Hmm, gosh, what am I wrestling with? I think for me, I'm it's just on a personal level. I'm wrestling with the fact that I'm not out in front of my customers because of this pandemic and not traveling. And I've never had to be not traveling for this long. As much as I love Zoom and I think I, I'm really good at re- interacting on it, for me, as who I am as a human, I miss my people, my salespeople. I miss that. So I think for me right now, that's probably the biggest struggle, but I'm compensating for it by just having more frequent conversations, you know, just talking to different people. But that's probably the biggest struggle. Excellent. I don't know about you, but I'm on the lookout for a collaborative platform that allows you to have a a more human-to-human engagement. There are companies out there like Cube and LearnBright that do something in the LMS space and in change management. But if if you ever come across a platform that creates a 3D world, then please do let me know. Yeah, I might I might call you because I'll be working there if that person <laughs> I'll decide to go work <laughs> for that company if they come up with it <laughs> because that's exactly the world needs it badly. Excellent. Okay, um, you've got a golden ticket and you can go and whisper in the ear of the idiot Anita, age 23. Um, and it's not about regret, but what choice bit of advice would you give her? Do what you wish to do and what makes you happy instead of what you think you should be doing to be happy. Okay, good advice. And what are you watching, reading, listening to at the moment that you think, yeah, that's really Gosh. good. Other people should pay heed. Gosh, I'm not actually reading. I and mean, amazingly, I'm not reading anything right now. I've got I've got a book that I just bought about Myers Briggs, the people who actually put up that test. I want to read that one. That's fascinating to me. I just have to find the time to do it. 
I'm constantly reading online. I think that's my, my addiction is I'm always out there looking for more and voracious when it comes to what's going on in my industry. So that's probably a big one. What am I watching? Gosh, I don't, we don't really want, we sound so lame right now. We don't really watch a whole lot of TV. I'm dying for movie theaters to open up again though, because I miss being able to go see a good movie. But yeah, I mean, that's it for me right now. It honestly is taking everything I've got to manage this industry and what we're going through with this pandemic. So everything I'm reading and learning is based on that right now. I think there are a couple of books that you'll enjoy. The Salesperson's Secret Code and The Leader's Secret Mm -hmm. Code by Mark Ridley. And um, they've created a couple of psychometric profiles um, that are really fascinating in terms of uh, looking at motivation that underpins behavior. I would also look at uh, another psychometric profile called the Motivational Map, which is fascinating. And Echo has produced uh, a a profile that looks at your listening habits. And I think those would be really interesting for you. That one, the listening one, absolutely. I didn't even heard of that. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great to me. Um, and that's the thing. I think of when I do read, it's things from a more, it's more psychology so that I can figure out how to apply it to sales. Interestingly enough, David Sandler, um, his library was made up two thirds, three quarters of psychology books. Okay. Um, yeah, me too. Excellent. Okay. How can people get hold of you? So my website is www.ldkadvisory.com. And I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. So if you just find me on LinkedIn, type in Anita Nielsen author, it'll pop up. Um, but I'm most active on that. I'm working on increasing my social footprint, but right now it's LinkedIn, a little bit of Twitter. In that case, check out a book by Sam Raffling called Linked Inbound. And uh, I wrote the forward to that, but um, because it was so good. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah, it's LinkedIn's all about favorite. how to use LinkedIn, not only to generate leads, but also develop your personal brand. And I think I'm probably, you should have called me because I'm one of the best success stories of that. You know, for writing my book, I was never on LinkedIn and now I've got a pretty good footprint. But yeah, I love, I love LinkedIn. That's where you'll find me. And what's your book called? Beat the Bots, How Your Humanity Can Future-Proof Your Tech Sales Career. Excellent. Anita Nielsen, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. This has been awesome. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then please like, comment, and share, and do subscribe. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, then ping me an email at marcuskauke at me.com or marcus at laughs-last.com and get in touch via LinkedIn. And if you think you know someone who'd be a good guest, you or someone else, then please connect us on LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.